Hello and welcome to another hometown daily news show. It is season two, episode 65, upcycling plastic. Oh, no, wait, wrong thing. Wow. This is how the sausage is made folks. Season two, episode 66, overzealous DMCA, nuclear startup, B-Watch, and more news. I am Marwat, and you will meet the AI that runs hometown right after we run through the 11 articles that we're going to talk about tonight. We're talking about how Musk has suspended an overzealous rights holder for weaponizing DMCA on Twitter. A world first study into the global daily air pollution that shows nowhere is safe. Critics rip financial vulture SoFi for suing to block Biden's student loan repayment pause. A train and a dump truck collide at an Ohio crossing. They seem to be popular recently. A new nuclear reactor has started up in the U.S., the first in seven years. NTSB launches an investigation into said railroad company. EV trucks are about to hit the road. Anchor launches new 47-watt Nano 3 GAN chargers. We'll talk about that when we get there. These have dual USB-C. A climate tech has worked with other startups to... Um, decarbonize Arizona cement. Niantic has launched a new game or is about to, I should say in May named Parado and bumblebees learn it from you, mom. No, they learn it from other bumblebees. Let's get into today's news. It did it again. It was working before, but it'll catch up here in a second. It's just a grand reveal. Uh, Well, it didn't do it that time. I I don't understand what's going on because it worked prior to the show, but it's not working now. But folks, you get to see how the sausage is made. My camera isn't working for those of you who are listening to the podcast. Hopefully it's going to work this time. Nope. I, I am at a loss. It says it's working. It says it's on, but it's not. And I don't want to restart. So if the camera doesn't come on this time, I'm just going to go without. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I am Marwat and (laughs) over there. Is. It's hard to point when you're not on camera. <laughs> Over there is uh, hometown.com. Uh, you'll be able to see all of the news, but you just won't see the mayor of hometown, Mayor Watt. Hey, there I am. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> uh, I need to up the budget here in hometown. Anyway, up above me is... Uh, the new visualizer for the uh, artificial intelligence that runs hometown that is the ai from on high who only goes by ai oh my go for it <laughs> good evening hometown citizens hey looking good looking good so um we've already selected 11 articles i uh, i don't know if that actually is going to end up sufficing because 
Um, after this hot mess of an in intro, I don't know if we can really hit it out of the park from this point on because we've already done that, right? I mean, we have just knocked the jacket right off of that baseball, just crushed it. You could hear it screaming out of the ballpark. <laughs> uh, I have regrets. Anyway, um, I went through the rundown really quick of the uh, articles that we're going to cover today. Do we, do you have any news like, uh, you know, the kind of news that doesn't make it into the feed, but maybe we, I mean, was there anything interesting that happened in hometown, but isn't in the news, so to speak? I don't know. We didn't update anything today. Uh, the potholes are filled, uh, other than the camera. I'll figure that one out. I might have yeah, to. I don't think we've made any updates since last show. Yeah, really? Okay, so let's just get into the news. We'll just not waste everybody's time. We'll get through this really fast and maybe we'll make it a, a dramatically shorter uh, episode. But you can go over to uh, omtown.showbot.tv and vote for the articles. They are already there. You can hit exclamation point S and then send me a link to an article if you want it included in tomorrow's episode. Um, I may be able to fit it in depending on the uh, news that filters into hometown. You can go over to youtube.com slash hometown. And that's us over there. And uh, you can catch us as a podcast everywhere. Just search for hometown and you'll pull us up. Um, and of course you can actually listen to the podcast right here. Now I've put that back onto the menu. The uh, podcast is back on the menu boys. I guess I should say people so that it's in more inclusive, but it's that's from Lord of the Rings. Okay, never mind. I, I won't. Okay, whatever. That and toss me um, where you're going to throw a dwarf. Okay, let's just keep on going. I'm I'm starting to lose control <laughs> of my filter. All right. So the very first article for today is in the word in law and it's in a section called science and technology. So when you move your mouse over these categories, right, this is where all of the shows get filtered. All of the news gets filtered into these. This one happens to be right here. The word in law in the future. Um, we will have someone who's a subject matter expert in law doing basically a, a show um, that focuses on a particular topic. Could be 30 minutes could be 45 minutes or an hour somewhere in there where all they do is they talk about uh, that element of law not ever going to be giving legal advice even though they will be a lawyer they are not your lawyer and they won't provide legal advice and anything that's discussed therein should not be assumed to be legal advice we'll make sure that all of this is discussed at length um, before after or during the show at any rate musk has suspended an overzealous rights holder for weaponizing dmca on twitter which i don't think is legal um in in terms of they've suspended the account but are they suspending the weaponization of dmca this is it, this is really <laughs> well let's just get into the article because it says yesterday 
Twitter CEO Elon Musk declared that Twitter will now be temporarily suspending any accounts found to be engaging in repeated egregious weaponization of the DMCA. Normally, I would appreciate that, but... Well, let's continue. Musk's tweet came at a time that an intense copyright dispute was unfolding that resulted in the suspension of a rights holder's Twitter account. The suspension came after a professional photographer and Twitter user Nightlights AM submitted a takedown notice to a to, uh, to a hobbyist Twitter user Rainmaker1973 who posted one of the photographer's videos without permission. Obviously a DMCA strike. It is a serious issue where a person without authorization has been using not not just a little snippet, not for educational purposes, that snippet, not some um, value added service attached to a small snippet. And even then you you really should either get explicit permission um, or make it abundantly clear who it is that owns it and, and what the purpose is for your particular use. And just make sure that everybody knows who it is that is the rights holder. Now, I didn't look into this. All I know is that I this was filtered into Ometown. So when you click this visit the source link, you get to go over to Ars Technica and um, Ashley Bellinger is the author of this and has this little picture of uh, an edited picture of Musk and Twitter with an eyebrow raised. I think that must be an edit because um, I, I, he, he looks right here like a steampunk villain um, going, I'm about to steal your land. Anyway. Um, or your Twitter account would be more apropos. Right. I'm about to shut down your Twitter account. I do believe you are being overzealous in weaponizing the DMCA. See, now the DMCA, I think, is a battle axe when it needs to be a scalpel. It needs to be something that's reviewed by a human being and isn't just kind of uh, abused, right? Either way, it shouldn't be abused. But a person who owns the rights to something wholeheartedly should be able to use the DMCA to request a takedown. And that's the purpose of the DMCA and safe harbor in social networks. You basically make a request. Hey, I want this taken down. They review it as a human, not as just an artificial intelligence that receives it and looks at the audio portion of it and suddenly sends a copyright notice to somebody who's using it in a... Uh, Let's say they're using it in a value added way and not the whole, you know, kit and caboodle of whatever it is, right? Um, fair use would be the term, but there's no real definition to what fair use is, which is a real overstatement of what fair use is or has the ability to make possible. There is no framework for fair use. Like I can't use all of a video, even in academia. I can't use even a fraction of an audio portion of a video without me getting a copyright notice, not necessarily a strike, but a notice that there's a copyright violation in play. This happens automatically on YouTube and other places. But here, Musk is announcing that there are people, rights holders, that are being overzealous and quote on the interpretation is weaponizing the DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is 
a battle axe. I'll say it again. It is a battle axe when we need a scalpel, when we need something that uses context as the main um, leverage for invoking DMCA and enforcing DMCA. When you look at it as a, D a rights holder and you see somebody using a portion of your work, is it really substantial enough for you to provoke a legal action? And that's what the DMCA claim is. It's a legal action with the whole force of the law behind it. If they don't take it down, then they're liable. If they leave it up and say, well, that person's using it fair use, you still have the ability to take action in a court because I'm using it without authorization and the safe harbor privilege says, well, we're not going to take action because we've found it to be fair use. We've interpreted it to be fair use. You can sue the company and you can sue the person who's violating your copyright. Nothing stops that. But what can happen is somebody can use it for fair use purposes, right? They're basically talking about the material, kind of like what I'm doing right now. I'm talking about this. This isn't, this might be a segment of what I'm talking about, but I'm not like wholly claiming that this is mine. I'm not reposting it somewhere. I am showing people that this is an article that's over on arstechnica.com. You should go over there, read the article and suss out the, the minutia thereof, right? But I'm adding value to it and I'm using it as basically a, a, a discussion point for public participation. Well, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act can be used as a battering ram to destroy any public participation or discourse regarding art or music or the written word to shut it all down simply because somebody doesn't like what you are saying. But I am right on the fence. And I know that I'm talking a lot about this. It's the very first article, but to me, it's very important because I'm on the fence about the DMCA in that it has the ability to be swift in stopping abuse from somebody who wholly takes material that is constructed by somebody else. But it also should be able to empower people to take segments of other people's works and discuss it, tweak it, work with it, value add to it, and maybe even show others that there's even greater benefit to what the originator of that work had in mind. Um, again, similar to a news reporter talking about somebody else's report, but this somebody's posting it wholesale on Twitter, then it's being taken down. And because it keeps on happening, Musk says, I'm sorry, you are <laughs> an overzealous rights holder weaponizing the DMCA. How fast do you... My problem is because why is he the arbiter of all copyright disputes? I mean, that's effectively what he's doing. And isn't he kind of acting contrary to the DMCA or putting, uh, causing a chilling effect that other people aren't going to put takedown notices if they use Twitter? I mean, none of that makes any sense. 
So he, he shoots this off the cuff because he's out of touch with reality. He's not able to understand that there are people that aren't billionaires that are being harmed by this. And so he's sitting there saying, well, you know, I don't really, I don't really care. I'm tired of our service having to deal with these weaponized DMCA claims. Well, cause he doesn't have to worry about food on his table, but this other person does. And for every contact that this artist loses, because he's using Twitter to make contacts with potential clients. Hey, I really like what you're doing, right? He's losing money. He's losing potential. He has to go somewhere else, but Twitter is a, a, a large vehicle perhaps for him. And I don't know how much he's making. Doesn't this quote sum up everything that he thinks about this? It says in 2021, Musk said, no one should be credited with anything ever. I mean, that just tells you his stance. He does, at least from that quote, he does not support copyright in any way because he has never had to worry about surviving. He's always had money. He's come from money. He's born with a silver spoon in his mouth and emeralds in his pocket. He made that claim that he had, he paid for things with emeralds from his dad's mines. And then later on, he tried to whitewash this and, and change it and and say he's like well nobody ever said that and no there's there's statements if you look online there's statements from him saying hey i i did this you know i said this well after all of this the twitter trust and safety chief ella Irwin told ours quote twitter handles dmca complaints from right holders on a regular basis and we review each complaint to ensure that they are valid and if so we take down the reported content for all complaints, DMCA and otherwise, we look for evidence of bad faith reporting, such as someone claiming to be a rights holder when they're actually not the rights, uh, have the rights to the content in question, or someone threatening to get a user suspended unless they pay them money immediately. That, that's something entirely, none of that has anything to do with this. Is it great that somebody actually, a human takes an actual look at this? Great. But that's not what the problem is. The problem is that the CEO bought this platform and suddenly is saying that people are weaponizing the DMCA. That's the problem. An hour after tweeting about Twitter's new efforts to prevent DMCA weaponization, Musk seemed to realize that his tweet did not reassure content creators that the Twitter CEO hopes that or will be part of his overall Twitter monetization strategy. He later tweeted that supporting content creators is still a major priority, saying that he understands that people need to make a living and prosper from their work. Yeah, because everybody else outside of Elon Musk and Facebook and, well, what's his name? Yeah, I can't even. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg and other billionaires. Yeah. They have to make a living and prosper from their work, not just the money that they've already made and were born with, literally born with. I can't count how many sociopathic billionaires there are entirely disconnected from society. They buy the companies and then say that they're the CEO.
that they worked hard to make it what it is. But it's really all of the working class behind that, not that didn't have the money, that just have to cope with the idea that there's some billionaire that owns it. Yet it's the engineers and it's the day-to-day people working nine to five that are making it a reality. And the only thing that's empowering them to do their job is the money. Meanwhile, the billionaire class is out of touch with what society is because they can literally poo-poo the DMCA in one breath and in the exhale say, I'm really, I'm a major priority uh, rights holder uh, cheerleader. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. And then they go back to, you're weaponizing the DMCA. I'm way past eight minutes, so I can say that he's an asshat. Let's move on to the next article because I've already talked for 20 minutes. World first study in global daily air pollution shows almost nowhere, nowhere, nowhere on earth is safe. Um, And before I get into that article, I will throw this article over into the show notes. There you go, folks. Um, So this article is over at fizz.org by Monash University or Monash. Um, It says, importantly, while daily levels have reduced in Europe and North America in the two decades to 2019, levels have increased in Southern Asia, Australia, New Zealand, Latin America, and the Caribbean, with more than 70% of daily global uh, days globally uh, seeing levels above what is safe. Lovely. Uh, A lack of pollution monitoring stations globally for air pollution mean a lack of data on local, national, regional, and global Uh, parts per million 2.5 exposure uh, or pm2 um hold on one second particulate matter so sorry i misread that so it's pm2 so particulate matter 2.5 so it's the total it's a daily ambient fine particulate matter so pm 2.5 across the globe um So now this study led by Professor Yuming Gao, I guess is their last name, uh, from Monash University School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine in Melbourne, Australia, and published in the Lancet Planetary Health, has provided a map of how PM 2.5 has changed across the globe in the past decades. So using their map, they couldn't find anything that was safe anywhere. Um, Even in Antarctica? So I was just scrolling down to see if there was anything, um, but they don't, I don't think they mention it. I mean, it's not good. They have Oceania on there and um, Australia and New Zealand. So it certainly suggests it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah, it had a marked increase. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't see, they're not, I don't think that they're talking about that because it isn't populated um i suppose yeah i don't think that they talk about it because it isn't populated i can't remember is it if it's i think it's antarctica it's either i think it's antarctica where people are carving out like little slices by country (laughs) it's weird 
Anyway. Oh, um, yeah. I think we saw an article about that in hometown recently. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. So, unfortunately, folks, um, lots of bad air sitting out there and dead air on the show. (laughs) Okay. So, let's move on to the next article. Um, That way we can keep it at least within an hour, I'd say. Uh, Not to harp on time every episode, but hey. I'm trying to get some news over to you, uh, dear viewers and listeners, and uh, let you go on about your day. If you want to come and hang out, happy to do that. Come on over to uh, twitch.tv slash hometown. We can chat. Uh, Critics rip financial vulture. That's what they're calling SoFi, S-O-F-I, for suing to block Biden's student loan repayment pause. I find this one really interesting because I guess the premise is well, if they don't get paid back fast, then they can get their anywhere between three and six percent um, for their student loans that they lend out, if not more, because the contracts for student loans typically allow them to raise the interest rate um, upwards of two percent per annum. Um, so supporters of U.S. President Biden's plan to cancel over four hundred billion dollars in student debt. To more than 43 million borrowers reacted angrily Monday to a lawsuit filed by an online finance company trying to overturn his administration's latest pause on student loan repayment, a policy that has cost the firm more than 100 million in lost profits. So SoFi filed suit on Friday in U.S. District Court uh, for the District of Columbia uh, on Friday against the U.S. Department of Education and Education Secretary Miguel Cardona um, over the agency's it has a typo decision in November to extend a COVID based moratorium. So and that's supposed to run out in June. I think it is. Um, this is over at uh, commondreams.org and it's written by Brett Wilkins. And it says, thanks to the moratorium, uh, said one advocate, tens of millions of Americans have been able to put food on the table, pay for childcare, stay in their homes, purchase their life saving medicine which also recently um, uh, insulin was capped at $35 uh, due to the Biden administration fighting tooth and nail um, from uh, financial. Uh, what do you want to call them? Uh, what, what do I want to call them? Financial terrorists, financial extremists, uh, uh, greedy bastards. I don't know what you want to call them, but um you know, there's no bargaining power. A person either dies or they get insulin. It's not an either or. I mean, it's not a eh, I can wait. It's an either or operation. So at any rate, um, we will see what ends up happening with this lawsuit and others. But I find it really fascinating that people weren't this bent out of shape about bailing out the banks. Um, when they did risky shit all over the place, yet now they're really bent out of shape that 43 million plus borrowers could have a portion of their loans. $20,000, by the way, for somebody, um, is quite a, quite a bit of money. But if you've received student loans for an upper level degree, um, during a time, this particular time where basically jobs have been. Uh, scarce and competition is high, no matter how good you are, there are people with PhDs that are working in Walmart for crying out loud, simply because they can't get a gig because they're not necessarily connected. 
Um, and, and part of that is nepotism. But um, my, my point is that nobody was bent out of shape bailing out all of these banks. And then nobody was bent out of shape with giving money to people who during the pandemic played fast and loose with their money and did risky things prior to it. And in the same breath where they're saying, well, I'm connected and I can fill out a form and get my form seen by the government faster. You know, senators got uh, pandemic money, yet somebody down the street lost their business because they didn't know how to jump through the flaming hoop. That would have been if they had the ability to go and seek advice on that, they could have maybe gotten a piece of the action, but a lot of businesses collapsed because they simply didn't know how to do the, the, uh, paperwork. Well, now 43 million borrowers who did nothing but educate themselves further on the dime, on the expectation that with it and, and risky as it might be, it's less risky than a bank pushing loans out to people, you know, and then leveraging that they should have saved their money and counted for that rainy day. But no, that's not what happened. They paid extraordinary bonuses to people. They invested it somewhere and then it collapsed. It's just so twisted. This is directly benefiting 43 million million borrowers but only $20,000, which is a grand sum for some people, but a drop in the bucket for some as well. So let's hope that in more, move it to 50,000, get it done, write it all off $3 trillion. Fine. You know, all of these greedy bastards are going to get their money from all of these people that are going to get their loans paid for. Anyway, they're getting their money. They shouldn't be complaining. They're getting all of their money back. And it's going to end up freeing 43 million plus people of their student debt. So again, I'm on my soapbox about this and we're going to end up running late. Maybe we'll see. Did you want to add anything or do you think that I pretty much ranted enough? I think you covered it. All right. So the next article is over in the daily news show. That's this show. And we'll go through this one really quick. So, um, a train and a dump truck collided at an Ohio train crossing. Um, there was one person killed in the incident, but this actually led to another article that we're going to run into here in a minute. Oh, I didn't mean to be punny about that. Um, that, that we're going to talk about a couple of articles from now. So I'm not going to get really into it. <clears throat> it's weird that there's a Hulu ad. Anyway, train dump truck collide, uh, at Ohio crossing authorities say a train and a dump truck collided at a railroad crossing in Ohio, killing the train conductor as he stood on the outside of a car, man, okay, I think I've only ever raises seen... a question. Like, why was that happening? That's interesting. I've never, I mean, the only time I've ever seen that is like a old West movie. Right. Exactly. I mean, that would have to be a movie. Um, so, I don't think I've ever heard of that in real life with a conductor. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Well, um, this is from the Associated Press over at abcnews.go.com. Um, 
This apparently happened in Cleveland. So you know what? It's so nice of Ohio to liberally spread all of these train accidents. Um, the crash happened at about 1.30 a.m. When the, when the dump truck, which was carrying a full load of limestone, approached a stop sign at the California, uh, California. I don't know why I said that. Probably because of cliffs. Cleveland Cliffs, Cleveland Works Steel Plant. Cleveland police said in a written statement about Cleveland. Anyway, they didn't Cleveland. say that part. Yeah, it's too many Clevelands. The truck, which had stopped, moved forward and hit the front left side of the train as it moved through a crossing, police said. And the 46-year-old conductor who was outside um, was struck in the collision. Weird. That's so weird. Anyway, um, that's really the, the nuts and bolts of this. So we're just going to jump on to the next article. Um, give us a breath. And uh, the next article is about the results of this. Okay, wait a second. Do you know what the rail line was involved in that accident? Go ahead. It was northern. It was Norfolk Southern because I thought, well, they didn't mention the rail line. Oh, at least it's not Norfolk Southern because there have been two derailments in Ohio in the last 30 days or whatever. This is Norfolk Southern. I found from another source that was a, Cle a local Cleveland um, news source. Yeah, because they talk about Norfolk Southern down here, but in relation to the other issue, um, <laughs> and here's another one. So let, here, I'll, let's just move on, and uh, we'll we'll talk about this uh, nuclear reactor. I'm a, I'm pro nuclear reactor, by the way. Um, a new nuclear reactor in the U.S. starts up. It's the first in nearly seven years. Um, full operation will begin in May or June. Georgia Power says. And um, the article's over at CNBC. Catherine Clifford is the author, and it says on Monday, Georgia Power announced that the uh, Vogel or Vogtel, 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 I don't know how to pronounce that, Vogtel, nuclear reactor unit three has started a nuclear reaction inside the nuclear reactor. It's like the Cleveland thing, like 15 nuclears mentioned in one <laughs> sentence. Technically, this is called initial criticality and is when the nuclear fission process has started splitting atoms, generating heat. Just to remind everybody that a nuclear reactor is nothing more than a high-tech steam engine. Um, I think it's Vogel's Unit 3 reactor will be fully in service May or June, according to Georgia Power. And the last time a nuclear reactor reached the same milestone was almost seven years ago when the Tennessee Valley Authority started splitting atoms at the Watts Bar Unit 2 reactor in Tennessee. Has nothing to do with me. I'm Marowat not watts bar i might go to a bar but i'm not splitting atoms i'm usually splitting hairs in a conversation whatever anyway according to the nuclear regulatory commission i, I am pro um nuclear reactor um i just wish that we had a different method of capturing energy and not just a steam engine technically um i, I would love the 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 ratio between energy generation and energy capture to be a little bit more efficient um, than heating up water so it turns a turbine naturally 
it, you, it's not really that big of a deal with a nuclear power plant because the water becomes a cycle and is just forever basically can run forever um now here in the states we don't have the same problem that nuclear reactors elsewhere have which is that they're like chernobyl blew up because um the it and had fallout such dramatic issues because the way that it was contained inside uh, a building it had no shielding so when it blew its top it destroyed the structure around it and irradiated the the region whereas here in the united states and in other countries many other countries nowadays even more so they have this massive cement concrete uh, barrier surrounding the actual unit which is uh, structured with uh, some uh, pretty heavy duty materials to keep everything housed um, and there's failover solutions well not only are there some safety precautions in place in the u.s but also as a newer reactor they're benefiting from lessons learned from things like Chernobyl um, and the construction of this one. Yeah. Um, but just, I want to draw home the point that Chernobyl had no biological shield there. There was no, there was no cement encapsulation of that unit that if it would have gone critical like it did and blew its top, because that's exactly what happened. The lid on top of the Chernobyl reactor built up steam and blew up. Um, it was a, a steam explosion and uh, if it would have had the cement containment unit around it then nothing would have escaped that unit it would have just stayed inside um, which is much easier to deal with and now you don't have scientists doing research on the dna that has changed in dogs in the region um, talk about knock-on effect so technically this has just gotten started and we will see in May or June what its actual power generation is going to um, turn into. And uh, it last did this, somebody last did this in May of 2016. Um, so this is, um, it's new and it's exciting and I think that it's great as long as we continue to deal with uh, nuclear waste, which isn't the same type of nuclear waste from bygone ages where we've had to stuff it into granite mountains. Um, we, we actually have much smaller amounts of waste. So it says, however, because nuclear energy is generated without releasing uh, carbon dioxide emissions, which cause global warming, the increased sense of urgency in responding to climate change has given nuclear energy a chance at a renaissance except that it costs billions of dollars. So the power that will be generated from this will be more expensive than usual, um, or it will be anticipated that cost and drawn out, amortized in your bills over a longer period of time. Not to mention, we don't have really a unified energy grid across the country. Um, it's in little fits and starts, and Texas is completely separate because Texas. Um, that said, um, I am fully embracing nu nuclear power. Uh, we have never had a nuclear accident, um, in the United States. It, it has been scarce, but no nuclear t containment has, um, ever, or three mile Island. There was no nuclear. It didn't actually fallout. get that far. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so let's continue on. This next article is in relation to that other railroad incident um, where the NTSB has launched a special investigation into rail into the railroad behind the fiery Ohio disaster. I'm just going to jump right on over. Actually, I'm going to throw this into um, the chat. Um, and so Chris D'Angelo over at uh, HuffPost wrote this article. And it says the probe targets a series of accidents, including the derailment in East Palestine and a conductor's death on Tuesday. So this is kind of an immediate launch because yesterday is when that uh, train accident that last the latest train accident took place at 1.30 in the morning for crying out loud. So NTSB said, well, I think we're done with this. We're, we're going to start an investigation. And all it took was toxic waste in one place and uh, a conductor on the outside of a train losing their life uh, in another instance. And then some random one out in the middle of somewhere. Huh. So third time's the charm before the NTSB steps up to the plate. I mean, who knows? I mean, I think it's three within 30 days. So or roughly, <laughs> I think the first one was on February 3rd. That's an, in one state. All, all this while record profits for the company, for the CEO, um, who had only been there apparently a year. I think that's, they, they basically just got there. Although, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a year as CEO is an eternity. If you've ever been CEO. Anyway, uh, given the number and significance of uh, recent Norfolk Southern accidents, the NTSB also urges the company to take immediate action today to review and assess its safety practices with the input of employees and others and implement necessary changes to improve safety. The NTSB, which investigates transportation accidents, said in a statement. Here's the deal, though. Stockholders are going to sit there and say, no, we want money. So the rates for train transport of goods right including these toxic chemicals through ohio it's going to go up because they are the supplier and if you look at the supplier index in fact hold on one second um what it's referred to as the, is the producer price index it's a commodity that gets traded um, and tracked by the um, St. Louis Fed is where it's distributed. The information is distributed. You're going to witness uh, February's number increase. Uh, it's supposed to be released pretty soon um, if it hasn't already. I know that um, my chart doesn't reflect it yet, but you're going to see the producer price index increase. And uh, Norfolk Southern is moving these produced goods. So you're going to see that increase. I can almost guarantee it. Um, meanwhile, the consumer price index is going up at, you know, at an accelerated rate versus the producer price index, which actually declined briefly. Um, but the consumer price index did not. Um, it has been going up since the pandemic. So the uh, stockholders are going to say to Norfolk Southern's board, no, we want money. And the board is going to be a stockholder as well and make their money on the success or failure of Norfolk Southern and its stock. So, of course, they're going to say, no, we're, we want our money. Um, so even if the federal government comes down on Norfolk Southern, 
Norfolk Southern is just going to raise the rates. And so consumers are going to have to pay more to get the goods that are a knock-on of whatever Norfolk Southern transports. So we're screwed either way, but it, maybe they'll learn a lesson, but it's still going to be a costly lesson for consumers because I know the government will probably bail these folks out should they have to collapse due to these. Well, right, because we can't lose major rail lines. I mean, that'll have significant effects. Right. I've actually had, I've listened to other streamers talk about this and they say that. But to me, I say, you know what? If they collapse, somebody else will step up and pick up the pieces and it'll be, have a major investment and the federal government will kick in money to get somebody else coming on board. They'll just rename it to Southern Norfolk and do the exact same shit, except maybe they'll go, oh, let's treat our employees a little better at the beginning, kind of like going to a new restaurant. The new restaurant is perfect. Everything is just the customer service is impeccable. The food is impeccable. Six months later, you're basically going into an outhouse and wondering if you're going to get shivved while you're paying the bill and somebody steals your wallet. That's oddly specific. That never happens. Not again. Anyway. Um, so they're going to get their money and we're going to pay it. We're going to end up paying it. Um, unfortunately people had to pay with their lives, but maybe, maybe something will change. Maybe society will blast back against these sociopaths treating people like crap. Um, okay. So I'm going to have to move on. The next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. EV trucks are about to hit the U S highways. That's right, folks, EV trucks, but they say that there's one big problem. wonder what that big problem is. More trucks mean more demand for energy. Are states ready for this? I can tell you one state that's not ready for this. You want to take a stab at it? Which state would that be? Go ahead, go ahead. Try, try, try. No? You're not gonna? Uh, I don't know. All I can think of with the energy is like Texas or something. Wyoming. Oh, it's gotta be Wyoming. Yeah. I said it two and a half <laughs> seconds before you. <laughs> oh dear AI. Come on. So more trucks mean more demand for energy. Are states ready for this? Many states are not. No. Um, plus, EV trucks have EV batteries, and it's not the same as a regular car. Uh, let's just say that towing something with an EV, like a trailer, means a metric ton of battery is needed because that battery will drain. Um, I've seen other people driving their trucks, their EV trucks, complaining about the short battery life because depending on the load, it drains it that much faster. Um, and a truck on the side of the road with a dead battery, unless it's a fast swap battery, like I've been promoting, that thing is dead on the side of the road or in the middle of the freeway. Meh. Right. Oh, I'm also concerned about the stopping distance because we've been reading things about that with cars with electric batteries. Yeah. Electric EVs are typically a thousand pounds heavier than the same car uh, model that's not EV. So compare it to 
an EV vehicle to its non-EV cousin, wheelbase, horsepower, volume, whatever you want to do. Uh, the EV is about 1,000 to 1,500 pounds heavier. Anyway, uh, Lisa Prevost is the author of this article over at entrepreneur.com. Their articles are really short usually, but this one is just kind of hauling butt like a truck on a freeway. Maybe an EV. That can't stop with that can't an stop. electric battery. Yeah, because it's a train. It's basically this massive vehicle that's going to have much longer stopping distance. And 18-wheelers have a long di stopping distance anyway. Anyway, Brian Wilkie, National Grid's Director of Transportation Electrification in New York, said the two-year study will pinpoint future critical charging locations along highways in nine northeast states and advise as to where the major transmission uh, line upgrades will need to be. This is going to have to be done across the country. Um, and I still have a problem with the defensibility of EVs. There is zero portability to an EV battery. You can't just pick it up in a five gallon jug and carry it somewhere. I can put five gallons in a jug in the back of my car and take it to another vehicle that ran out of gas somewhere and pour that five gallons into the new, the other broken down vehicle and off it goes in five minutes. But you can't do that with a battery, not a truck battery, not with a car battery, because we haven't made fast swap technology into our EVs. We will regret that. So it says multi-state approach. Um, and you can actually sign up to get um, energy news um, through a couple of links here in this article and they talk about big rigs and big data zero emission trucks are expected to expand rapidly throughout the region in coming years not at least all of the states in the in the study group except new hampshire are signatories to a memorandum of understanding promising to work together to foster widespread electrification of those vehicles by the way that region the batteries in that region are going to drain dramatically faster because of the cold. So uh, cold and heat that is extraordinary from just your standard room temperature is going to drain a battery faster or cause it to drain faster. Like the, the ions in a cold battery are drained faster and in a hot battery are drained faster. Um, they're only, they only have a functional uh, range in temperature, just like everything. And heat is the worst. It's very hard to cool off an EV battery. And it's also pretty difficult to warm up an EV battery. You have to get it going. And that cold wants to penetrate that heat. You know, it's just relentless. So we're going to hear about that kind of stuff more and more as people come to realize the physics of EV uh, technology, not necessarily being up to snuff. Anyway, um, I look forward to it, but I'm telling you that our grid and our infrastructure is not ready for it. Yeah, we have a long way to go. I mean, if we're not ready for cars, we're really not ready for trucks. I like the direction this is going, but we are not ready for it. 
So we'll keep an eye out on this, but um, follow the link if you're interested in this kind of thing. Follow the link. It goes through Omtown over to, and all news goes through Omtown uh, here in Omtown at least. Um, all this news goes through Omtown, and you can get to it at any time. Our search is doing great. The site of the speed is great. Um, go and check out Omtown.com. Let's move on to the next article. Um, this is kind of a win and a lose because anchor is taking it to the chin a couple of times because um they kind of fumbled one of their uh camera solutions and the the discussion around it um saying that it was secure and and all of this kind of stuff but we found out researchers uh, cybersecurity researchers found out that it wasn't secure and that anybody if they figured out the algorithm which um I've worked at a place where I've figured out their security algorithm um, and I told them and they kind of shrugged at me and then uh, new management came in and said, oh shit. <laughs> and they immediately fixed it. Um, so, you know, uh, security through obfuscation, um, trying to just make it obscure enough to not be seen is misguided you, somebody is going to figure it out because you build a better mousetrap and better mice show up knocking on your door stealing your cheese so this article is over in the smack talk channel and anchor launches new 47 watt nano 3 gan charger with dual usb-c design in three colorways um so, somewhere along the line colorway became like a standard uh element in the lexicon and describing a product in the public colorway had been in the industry but not in the public's eye um, and suddenly it's the new thing it's been like this for years now but um i i've always wanted to say something about it now uh, i haven't followed this link to its source i know that it's over at nine to five mac but i think it's nine to five mac um but Anyway, it says last fall, Anchor launched its new flagship Nano 3 charger uh, that was specifically geared for iPhone 14, sporting several matching colorways and the latest GAN tech. Um, today, the company is bringing um, much of that design to a more capable package, upgraded to 47 watts, Nano 3, pardon me. Wow, I don't know where that cough came from. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you y'all didn't hear it, but um, I probably turned red on camera. Um, the charger arrives with the same GAN power circuits, uh, just with a two-port USB-C build. This is spectacular because usually what happens is you get USB-A and a USB-C. Um, let's go over to the source, and it's uh, over at 9to5toys.com. Uh, Ricka Altland is the author. And uh, these are the little chargers. These are amazing. I love these little things. They have a folding plug that drops down inside the body. And then you can just throw that in a backpack um, and then carry it off wherever you want. Pop out that little plug, plug it into the wall and you get two USB-C plugs. These are awesome. Um, I think it says here for uh, 34 bucks and uh, I would buy these all day. So this GAN tech allows you to up the wattage um, and that allows you to do faster charging um, without 
the heat generation that older um i refer to these as wall warts um because they're little little things that just kind of stick out of the wall um anyway go and check these out i'm probably going to end up buying a couple of these because they have the same power output as the uh, apple single port usb-c um, wall warts but um here you go 47 watts i dig it uh says it can not only dish out more power than its predecessor but also uh, charge two devices at once so i'm on board um, and they also talk about the folding plug and uh, i think this is half um, letting people know about it and half um like sales this is this is like a deal that they've found it says now available for purchase at anchors official amazon storefront the new 47 watt dual usb-c nano 3 charger typically clocks in at 40 bucks right now it's 33.99 um and they might they probably yeah it's an amazon link so if you follow the link through hometown over to nine to five toys which you can't do until i <clears throat> throw it into the uh chat sorry about that folks there you go um you can get this deal if it's still viable i'm not sure one second um i ate some peanuts before the show started and uh, i don't know maybe i am having an allergic reaction yeah i was gonna say are you developing a uh, peanut allergy here um well it might also be the the drink that i'm staring at right now anyway Maybe that's what I should do. We should do uh, the drunk hometown daily news show uh, each <laughs> night. Would we pick lighter articles for that, or would we try to tackle things like uh, <laughs> climate change and uh, I don't know? We're just sobbing into our drink by the end of the episode. Uh, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. Anyway, this is over at 9to5toys, folks. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, of course, it has to do with uh, climate change, right? <laughs> does it really? Oh, it does. I didn't know that was next. <laughs> so <laughs> climate tech startups. Yeah, really. Uh, we're going to have to consult more about what our show rundown. <laughs> so climate tech startups. Um, yes, I said startups. Climate, climate tech startups team up to decarbonize Arizona cement plant. Um, if you've never been told this, cement um, has a really horrible carbon footprint and is constantly off-gassing um, greenhouse gases. It's really bad for the environment. Uh, we actually have a product that's sitting on deck um, because we're trying to find a way that we can produce it with uh, a less with a more carbon neutral solution um, than uh, the, the cement that we are going to be using. And uh, so it hasn't, well, it's seen the light of day in, in um, some prototypes and um, some actual final product. Uh, but man, I would love to be able. So I think what the plan is going to be, and, and unfortunately, this is really the only way that we can bring this product to market uh, right now is for every one of the products that we sell we plant a tree um and and then we have a lifetime of offset um for each of the products um and we'll probably be partnering with them um 
a provider of that service um, that I've already got on, online uh, on deck ready to go. So, but we'll we'll announce that when we're um, ready and because um, we're working on five other products right now. So, anyway, local governments in southwestern U.S. are putting up one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to back what they say is a pioneering effort to turn. Uh, air into concrete at scale. The funds will help cover the cost of the reference project, a collaboration between two climate tech startups and a masonry firm in Flagstaff, Arizona. The firms expect to uh, construct a kickoff later this year when uh, the two startups install their tech within Blocklight's existing facility. It'll work like this. Air capture will suck carbon out of the air and carbon built will retrofit block lights curing chamber to the, uh, so the firm can use the CO2 to cure a lower carbon recipe for concrete. Carbon built's recipe uses less cement and integrates industrial waste that could otherwise be diverted to landfills such as fly ash. And I knew that's what was the industrial waste. Um, so fly ash is basically um, a waste product from kilns and and other manufacturing processes and um, it's it's really kind of just a neutral waste as far as i understand it um, but it's not being used anywhere it gets dumped into pits um, but by grinding up the material and throwing it into the mix then it bonds with the cement and it acts like a filler um and it says that it's it says block light um and that it uses less cement but it must be using less cement because it's using a lot of fly ash um it's basically it'll act like a binder really Anyway, it says, in essence, we're working with air capture to take CO2 gas from our atmosphere and then we turn it into a rock for permanent storage, carbon built said in a statement. So that's awesome. Um, and I, I like the idea of it. I think that it'll be great and we'll be able to use cement still. If people were to really start getting informed of just how much CO2 is off is off gassed from cement um people wouldn't just shrug and when you look at buildings when you look at um, places that are just massive blocks of cement you, you go oh wow this is just this is not good for nature but you you can't stop i think you hear that only in major cities right like it's all cement and there isn't enough green and that's um bad for the it raises the temperature and there's other effects yeah but i don't think you hear much about cement otherwise nope and the only reason why we know about it here in hometown is because i did some due diligence to make sure that the products that we create are at least carbon neutral um one way or the other and we even try to avoid impacting um the ecosystem at all we don't want to add any greenhouse gases um, at all so um here's to them you know 150 grand doesn't seem like it's going to be enough I, I don't think you can get you know an air filter for your car for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars nowadays it seems yes i'm being hyperbolic but hey i'm me so 
this is the the climate tech article climate tech startups team up to decarbonize arizona cement plant and it's over at TechCrunch. uh harry weber is the author of this and it looks like uh, this is the block light plant i i don't this looks like a render um to me doesn't it doesn't that look yeah it doesn't look like an actual photo that's weird that that's like uncanny valley there you know it just doesn't <laughs> it, it doesn't is. look right i mean i don't i don't know if it's the perspective but it does not look authentic right it's like tilt shift yes exactly weird okay uh, it's not just me okay anyway this whole article goes into greater detail about this um it says that the hundred and fifty thousand dollar award comes from the four corners carbon coalition which took its name from the southwest region of the united states the group counts four municipalities as members salt lake city utah santa fe new mexico boulder colorado and flagstaff arizona and in a statement to TechCrunch, carbon built ceo rahul shindur uh, called the funds a great first step, but said the firms involved would also put funds and time into the project. So, like I said, 150 grand is pretty cheap, um, but a, a great first step to actually show that they can do this and scale it up. Beautiful. Um, let's hustle on to the next article. Uh, I promise that I'm not going to soapbox for the rest of these articles. I, I no, I, I promise. Oh man, the AI just sent an error message my way. And that always means that they don't agree. Um, so the next article is in, is, uh, in the late night geeks show. And, uh, in time, this show will actually be about gaming, um, and, and talking about gadgets and tech while they're gaming. Um, Niantic, the studio behind Pokemon go and a couple other games, um, is releasing its next big game very soon. The developer announced that the virtual pet game Parado, which was first announced last year, will be available on both iOS and Android on May 9th. It'll be a global launch. Why? Okay. So the AI won't have any understanding why I blurt this out, but why do I feel like Niantic is going to be um, providing Parado in the next eSports Olympics? Y'all yeah, go and that look. Seems like it. I mean, we've been talking about the esports Olympics in another um, episode. Oh, look at that! Well, I guess the AI is gonna have some. Wow! Wow! I'm getting my esports game ready. Oh boy! Oh man! Those twitch reflexes that an AI can have, predicting where people are gonna go and what's gonna happen. Wow! You would dominate. So the author of this says that they had a chance to check out Parado last summer and that early version was an adorable mashup of Pokemon Go's augmented reality aspects with a Tamagotchi style pet sim and in a blog post um, today with uh, David Holland from uh, Parado's uh, creative team. So let's go over to The Verge. Andrew Webster is the author. It says it's the next major release from the studio behind Pokemon Go. Niantic also created another game and I'm trying to remember what it was called. Um, it was a hacking game ingress. There we go. They talk about it in the article. So Parado will mark Niantic's first non-licensed game since the release of its breakout hit ingress, which I, I started and then stopped and then started and then stopped. 
I couldn't stay with it. Um, the same thing with Pokemon Go. I just couldn't get into it for long term. Anyway, um, since the massive, massive success of Pokemon Go, the company has been trying to replicate that success with other popular brands, including Pikmin Bloom, NBA All World, and uh, since shuttered Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which was a flash in uh, this thing flamed out so fast it make your wand spin. However, today, none of those uh, follow-ups have proven to be of uh, similar success. And last year, Niantic laid off 8% of its staff and canceled four in-development projects. And yeah, well, do what you're good at. There's a big article, uh, like a segment in here that it seems like it's a press release. Um, you can go over and check that out. There's also a video over on YouTube called Parado coming May 9th from Niantic. If you go uh, through Ometown, follow that link that's in the chat and in the VOD and the show notes, you'll be able to get to this particular video um, over on TheVerge.com. So go for it. Now, our bonus article, number 11, or what is that? Zero, if you want to be technical. Or negative one, I don't know. <laughs> we already counted down. I guess it would be zero, right? After yeah. one. Uh, bumblebees learn it from you mom anyway it's in the mobile channel uh, bumblebees learn new trends quote-unquote trends in their behavior by watching and learning which i never in a million years would think that that's what they do but i mean they've got oops i grabbed the I mean, wrong bumblebees look. are extremely cool and they do a lot of neat things so if there was any animal that did this i'd be like well yeah that makes sense and they have a lot of eyes, so they pick up a lot of things. But I thought that they were all chemical, right? So watching and learning. So Queen Mary University of London put this together. And it says the research led by Queen Mary University of London and published in PLOS or PLOS. I think it's just PLOS. I don't, I've never, I don't remember what that's actually stands for. PLOS, biology. Um, provides strong evidence that social learning drives the spread of bumblebee behavior, in this case, precisely how they forage for food. A variety of experiments were set up to establish this. The researchers designed a two-option puzzle box that could be opened either by pushing a red tab clockwise or a blue tab counterclockwise to reveal a 50% sucrose solution reward. It's pretty neat. By the way, um... I would not, uh, this is really funny, but I've actually seen a video of, uh, I think it was two bees working together to remove the screw top on a bottle of soda. I think there's a video out there. Okay, now I wanna watch that. And by the way, if you go to PLS, PLOS's website, like everything just basically says PLS. P-L-O-S, even when you say about. So, goodness, who knows what it actually stands for. <laughs> you have to do some uh, deep dive into the origin of... I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere, but I haven't found it. I'm sure people just say plose. And they and people know what they're talking about. Because every acronym, I like, you work in government and suddenly acronyms become actual words. So anyway, demonstrator bees were trained to use either the red or blue tabs with observer bees watching. How do they do that? Um, 
When it was the observer's turn to tackle the puzzle, they overwhelmingly and repeatedly chose to use the same method that they had seen, even after discovering the alternative option. This preference for the taut option was maintained by whole colonies of bees, with a mean of 98.6% of the box openings made using the taut method. They exchanged their ideas. They said, hey, right, that's do crazy. it this way. It's faster. It's like when I try to get to the store and there's two different directions. The three people in the car are saying different directions because of their experience. And then they sit there and they go, well, I learned this way, so I know it's the fastest way. And they stick to that. And then they teach other bees the exact same thing. So I'm not going to go through the whole um, article, but it has some uh, neat pictures and it shows um, these little bees feeding from a puzzle box opened by pushing the blue tab in this particular instance. But there was a red option as well, but they were trained to push on the blue. So boom, they push on the blue. This is amazing. And it shows that the insects are have an intelligence. You know, oh, wow. Okay, so I was just about to make an alien joke. And down at the bottom, the last paragraph, it says, we tend to overlook the alien <laughs> civilizations formed by bees, ants, and wasps on our planet because they are small-bodied and their societies and architectural constructions seem governed by instinct at first. Our research shows, however, that new innovations can spread like social media memes through the, so the insect colonies, indicating that they can respond to wholly new environmental changes or challenges um, much faster than by evolutionary changes, which would take many generations to manifest. Maybe we just don't know how to speak their language. That, that's not what's in the article, but yeah. <laughs> for them to be able to watch and do, it's like, when I see a horse playing with a ball out in a field that they found, or, you know, uh, a lion uh, carrying a stick just because, you know, it just, it makes you wonder what we don't understand about the natural world. Yeah, there's a lot out there. I mean, I mean, what about the crow um, sliding down the rooftop uh, on the making a, basically a sled and repeating it over and over again? Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Like, why would a crow do that? You would think that there was something having to do with food or shelter or something, some survival instinct. But this thing was just having fun picking up. It was a lid of some kind and sliding down the rooftop in the snow. It's just really fascinating. So, I mean, it really makes, if it wasn't, I, I don't know how I'm going to end up uh, ranting about this stuff, but it makes you really pause. And if you don't disengage your humanity, if you don't disengage like how the sausage is made, you will not eat anything anymore because the possibility, just the possibility that there's a cow out there that's having fun, you know, makes you go, I'm going to go vegetarian. I'm right up until we find out that when we eat, you know, lettuce, it screams. 
Okay, yeah, I know. I mean, that reminds me of those bumper stickers. Something like, I'm a vegetarian, I hate vegetables, or, or something yeah. of that effect. Yeah, it's not that I don't like right. meat, it's that I really hate lettuce. <laughs> that's really twisted, but okay. Um, at any rate, folks, that's it for the hometown daily new new show for tonight. Um, what? It's March 7th, 2023. I didn't even do the intro right at the beginning. I had everything in my mind and then all hell broke loose. So I'm going to call it. Um, thanks for showing up in chat. Appreciate it. If you're here, um, and lurking, that is always awesome as well. Don't forget we have a podcast. You can download this, uh, tomorrow. Um, I might be able to post it tonight. It really depends on how fast I can get to uh, doing all the homework that's involved. The YouTube video will be up shortly after the show. Um, and, um, that's about it. It'll have the show notes. Um, and then I'll update things in the podcast later. Okay. You want to say good night to the hometown citizens? Yes, but she just stole my line. Um, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you at tomorrow's show. Wow. Wow, the AI is upset with me. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Maybe. I'm not sure if if you don't hear from me. You're not at risk from the AI. Send the Marines. <laughs>